1: PK understandably flipped with rage. Gonna have a committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out! Well this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari! I don't know what's happened. Honestly. Puts his hand out of the cockpit and says, there we are! Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Joko. Matt is here. We have a wild Baku to recap, plus a bunch of news, fan questions, we shall see. Just a quick recap, the top five, Sergio Perez gets the win, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly round out the podium, Charles Leclerc, and Lando Norris round out the top five. I think this race we can call Defy Pirelli, because they had a bad weekend. And Matt where do you where do you want to start I, I there's there's a lot going on here and I don't know where to start
2: well, first of all congrats to Checo that was a pretty awesome win you know obviously Verstappen had his tire failure but Perez was there all day and hanging right with him and and did the undercut on Hamilton which was pretty brilliant so credit to him I mean I know Verstappen crashed but he's still right there all day and showed he can keep up with him so that was good so I yeah I guess you kind of have to say and also Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly did really well to get on the podium. But I think you have to start with the yeah, the, the Pirelli's and Joster Stappen chiming in on Twitter saying, you know, when Pirelli said that debris caused the tires to fail. And Joster Stappen said, well that's a typical excuse. And I'm curious to see how they came to that conclusion because I know they're shipping the tires to Milan to investigate them at the factory. But um, I don't know. I, I, I'm i calling BS on that, if I'm being honest. I think there is some some sort of issue that is a little deeper. And I hope we don't get another 2013 situation. Because if we remember, the tires at Silverstone were just catastrophic. And so they reverted back to 2012 tires. And then Red Bull and Vettel just ran away with the season. So hope we don't get a situation like that where it – them switching tires aids one team over another and causes a runaway championship.
1: Yeah, I agree on your second point, and I agree on your first point. I think it's total BS. I feel like they came to that conclusion a little too fast for my comfort to actually put any weight into it. And if you looked at the kind of tire debris as much as you could on a TV view, it didn't look like there was... It looked like the outer... Marcus, if the tire pretty much blew off the rest of the tire, which isn't really a debris thing, in my opinion. So definitely not very good there. But you kind of mentioned Perez was right there all weekend. And and I'll kind of piggyback off that. He was pretty good in qualifying. Didn't have the best qualifying. But right from the start of the race, he gained two or three spots and and worked his way up throughout the entire race. And it would have been Red Bull 1-2 if Max didn't crash. But... Was this Perez's best Red Bull weekend so far? So let's pretend he finished P2. It, would it still have been his best Red Bull weekend so far?
2: Yes. I think it. To, to the others in the paddock and whatnot in the field, I think it would have been his way of showing that he can do it, that he's not just there to be a number two, and that I think st- still need a little bit of work in qualifying maybe but he recovered really well in the race so i and not only him you know we talked we talked before the season about the five race kind of rule with new drivers you look at perez he won you look at vettel he finished second got some good circumstances to fall his way but he still was there pretty much most of the day in the top five you got signs who finished second last week and was Running well prior to him missing the castle turn. So, obviously, that was unfortunate, but you know, he still showed pace all weekend. So, the kind of the only one that's not fitting in that mold of, oh, well, we just give him five or six races and they'll be fine is Ricardo. Um, he's uh, still struggling a little bit compared to Lando. So, but yeah, I think Perez, I think we may start seeing an upper trajectory if he can just nail some of these qualifying sessions.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if, who crashed at the end of Q3? Uh, uh, Sonota,
2: Sonoda?
1: Sonoda and signs. And, and yeah. If that didn't happen, could Perez have put in one last flying lap? I don't remember where he was on track, but anyway, something to consider.
2: Yeah, and that uh, qualifying rule still needs a look, I think, for next yes. year. Because uh, we we saw it again. I think maybe just a street course. I mean, obviously, it can happen anywhere, but specifically in the street courses when Drivers don't have eight miles of tarmac runoff. You're going to see more crashes and things like that. So while we're on the subject of qualifying, so I think Ferrari kind of shocked a bunch of people again, and Leclerc got back-to-back polls, which, you know, you look at his quotes coming into the race, they were not expecting that at all. And I know there was more, you know, cautions and red flags and whatnot that impacted qualifying. But were you, once again, surprised by Ferrari's qualifying pace, but then also... Leclerc's lack of race pace, he kind of seemed to
1: fade pretty quick. I was surprised they how well they qualified because unlike Monaco, there's a lot of long straight there and the Ferrari maybe doesn't have the power of some of the other engines. But I think Leclerc said after qualifying, I don't know if we can match these guys in race pace. I don't know if it was him or signs, but one of them specifically mentioned it somewhere that I read either after qualifying or Maybe before I think it was after qualifying, so I wasn't as surprised. I know that he got the pole, but I was not expecting him to win the race, and I know he kind of had to do some work to recover, to finish before, but I'm not super surprised he kind of sunk a little bit once the race got going. Yeah,
2: I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I kind of assumed Red Bull would be faster, and they were, so but it is nice to see Ferrari up there and kind of contending, especially since we just assumed they're just going to take the year off. And I don't know if they're still developing the car or not, but the fact is that they're still hanging in there with uh, McLaren, which I really didn't expect. So that's, that's uh, as a whole, really positive. So wanted to get your reaction. So when Verstappen spun in the straightaway, I don't know about you, but I was like, what in the heck just happened? Cause you think it was like kind of by start finish, which is way down the street. So what was your kind of, like, instant Mike Jokum reaction to the the spin that happened there?
1: Oh, man. So I was watching the race with my dad, and we were both... Like, we both looked at each other, like, are we watching this in real time, or are we watching, like, a replay of something that happened previously, like, in past years? Because it, it didn't feel real. I don't know why, but it was, like, maybe because the commentators were slightly delayed. Like, TV went to it before commentators did and you were like oh my god what's going on holy holy expletive it's oh my god that's who is that oh my god it's first happen." and like it took it takes you like 10 seconds to like fully process that the race leader has just crashed into the wall and at the time like we didn't know what the driver error or was it tire error for that split second before we heard heard the radio but yeah, I mean it was wild. It was so unexpected because it, the race had really settled down at that point, and you, you pretty much kind of thought you would guys would finish where they where they were. Verstappen was what seconds ish ahead of of Perez, and Hamilton was back in third, but not really challenging Perez too much there. Who, by the way, was also dealing with a hydraulic issue, which was not talked about until. Well, after the race ended, so yeah, man, it was it was wild. I don't even know what the right word is. It was t- totally caught me off guard.
2: Yeah, it was uh, crazy. I was watching in Chicago, and I remember just going like, "Ah, oh, man, like that sucks for Max. Like that's such an uh, impactful moment of the championship." So then we get to the standing restart, and Lewis's getaway was really good and was going to easily beat Checo to the apex of the first corner, but he missed his braking zone, or the brakes locked up a lot, or insert car's fault here, and ultimately really saved Max Verstappen, because then Max Verstappen's tire failure was kind of a moot point. I mean, sure, it would have been nice to win and get eight or nine points on Hamilton, but at least he didn't lose any points this time. So I think that was ultimately what saved him, but...
1: So you mentioned Verstappen not losing points, which I I guess is a good thing. But who do you think feels more relieved? The fact that Verstappen still has a four-point lead and Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton in knowing that he's not down by 17 points and he's still in this battle?
2: I was going to say Max because I think Max has nothing to feel ashamed of. And nothing to feel bad about it was a tire failure versus Lewis is like, wow, I must have really thrown some points away there and I could have capitalized on it or, you know, whatever. So, you know, whoever I think out of those two leaving the track, I think Max is the one to be the one who's going like, whew, you know, I got away with that one.
1: Yeah, Lewis could have left with a 20 point advantage roughly, which could have put a huge damper on Max's championship efforts the rest of the year now it's back to max being up four, and and can go back and forth pretty much weekend and and week out at this point
2: yeah and so on that point with the hamilton you know missing the first corner there what did you make of the whole standing restart thing i am trying to remember we had a red flag at some point this year and i thought they were going to do a standing restart but they opted not to i think it was was it emola russell and botas maybe I can't remember. I feel like we've had a red flag this year already. Maybe not. I think,
1: so to answer your your question quickly, so we had the Monza red flag last year, which was a standing start. Then we had a red flag later in the year last year, which was not a standing start, which I think you might be the one you're referring to. I don't know if we had one this year, but continue.
2: Yeah, and I just, you know, the, the letter of the law states it's up to race control, and so... You know, with two laps to go or, you know, by the time they did all the yellow flag laps and whatnot, there was going to be two laps to go when they started. So do you think Formula One is Americanizing itself a little bit with these manufactured races? Well, not even like a quote unquote manufactured race. Or do you think you you, do not have a problem with it at all?
1: I don't have a problem with it. This isn't a green, white, checkered NASCAR thing. There's no stages there were multiple teams that radioed into race control. Obviously we heard Christian Horner radio into race control and say, Hey, we had no knowledge that this tire was going to go down. Uh, Can you please red flag it? So teams are able to change tires to be safe. So from the team perspective, uh, I know multiple teams called in to race control. I've seen that on a number of places, including on the BBC recap that I listened to. So, I don't have an issue with it. I think, and I think a few drivers said this afterwards, whatever they decide on to just be consistent. You know, if if it's going to be a standing restart after a red flag, you know, with less than 10 laps to go because of a safety issue, fine, so be it. As long as they're consistent time in and time out. I think that's to me the biggest thing is. And also that will quiet the oh we're manufacturing this critics. Oh, this is just like NASCAR and green white checkers. No, there was two laps to go, not one. So it was a green white white checkered. So I I'm cool with it.
2: I am too. I think it it definitely makes it fun. It might make the results a little unfortunate for some. Like, you know, that obviously Lewis would finish second at the very least, I think, had there not been that restart, but At the same time, you know, as a driver, you got to be ready for any scenario that they throw at you. And you have to be the one to capitalize on something like uh, Alonzo. I think he went from what ninth or eighth to sixth at the end. So, you know, there's drivers who capitalized on it and some who kind of squandered their chance. So I had two more topics if you didn't mind. So the first one was weird one. I saw today, Michael Massey came out and basically was defending the fact that people are criticizing Baku's pit entry is unsafe. I uh, don't, yeah, I didn't. I mean, if if we're pointing fingers, we can point at the whole of Baku as being a pretty unsafe track, in my opinion. It's all dangerous. It's a, it's a, to me, it's a dangerous track. So I, I would kind of love to know what specifically about pit lane drew the ire of some. It doesn't sound like they're going to make any changes to it, and I don't, I don't foresee the reason to do that. I, I mean, it is kind of a weird entry, but. It's nothing a Formula 1 driver shouldn't be able to handle, so I I don't know if you had any comments on that.
1: No, I I mean, honestly, it's a longer pit entry than some, which gives you time to slow down and and figure things out, so I don't know. Let's move on.
2: (laughs) And then the other one I wanted to get your thoughts on was uh, the finish between the Haas drivers. Uh, Mazepin got in front of Mick somehow, even though Maspin was nowhere all day. And then coming to the finish, like the actual finish of the race, Schumacher had a good run. He was going to pull the outside, and then Maspin kind of jolted his car into his path at the last second. But they still got through on piece, no collision. But they were approaching, like, peak top speed when that move was made. So it really drew the ire of Mick on the radio as he crossed the line, which is not very Mick-like. You know, Mick's pretty – Pretty chill most of the time, but he was very pissed. And then even got to the point where he started laughing. Um so what did you make of all that?
1: Yeah. So Mazpin ended up being there because of the silly red flag rule where he essentially got his lap back. It's the one part of the red flag rule that really needs to be looked at. But anyway, I don't know why I mean I don't I don't understand why they were they were battling like that from from either driver's perspective, because they were finishing what difference does it make if if Mick finishes 13th or 14th and Mazepin finishes 13th or 14th? But at the same time, Mick is a race car driver. He wants to finish ahead of anybody, especially his teammates. So he's charging hard. He's got the line. There's absolutely no need at peak top speed for Mazepin to make a move like that. Just, again, goes to show that the kid clearly has not learned anything I don't know if he's gonna get any penalty from this. I haven't seen anything and it's now almost seventy two hours since the race has ended when we're recording this, so I doubt he will. But man, that that if if ooh, if his dad wasn't footing probably a large majority of the bill, I'm sure the team owner would be angrier. But I mean that to me is more dangerous than anything he's done on track this year in F one.
2: Yeah. He's uh, it's an interesting one, that guy. And, yeah, I thought it was dangerous. And then just seeing, like, Mick on the radio, like, the first, like, 20 seconds is his unfiltered thoughts of, like, is he trying to get us killed? And then, you know, the engineer saying like, yeah, we noted it. We noted it. You're all good. And, and then you kind of – I think Mick kind of realized like, well, yeah. I mean, daddy's in the bill here, so I guess I should – have to kind of sort of somewhat watch what I say because I don't want to get fired because daddy Mazepin hates me. But at the same time, like, oh, it has to be frustrating. It's got to be awkward for him because he, I'm assuming he and Nikita probably aren't really that close outside of the media availabilities. So it's probably awkward for him because he probably knows the realities of what's going on. And yeah. Anyways, do you have anything else you want to, uh, you want to recap before you're flogging here on the predictions?
1: Oh, boy. Before we get there and everybody who listens to our IndyCar episode next day will hear this a second time. But So, I'm in the Motormouth Mouth podcast, which talks about all forms of motorsports and kind of automotive stuff in general. I actually had Connor Daly on a couple months ago. I'm in their F1 Fantasy League, and I just want to defend myself before I get publicly destroyed here and deservedly so there's about five or 600 people in this fantasy league and i am first overall and i shared the proof with matt that i am actually first overall so i don't know why but i this this is definitely out of this might be one of my worst predictions overall like of all time since we started recording ever so
2: and arguably one of my best
1: Yes, easily one of your best. And for predictions, I'm just going to sit back and let you make fun of me for as long as you want. You say whatever you want, and I'm just going to sit back and not say anything.
2: Okay, well, I guess if you're giving me the platform, I will say that everybody listed here, uh, these drivers here, are significantly younger than you. That includes Alonzo. I see Alonzo in there. He's kind of old.
1: Yeah, that's mean.
2: Hey, you said I got whatever... I can say whatever I want, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Did you know Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy?
1: Yeah, and Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln.
2: Anyways, so as far as good predictions, uh, it says that you had Ricardo at P9. That's, uh, I wouldn't say that was very good. I had Sergio Perez, what did, um, huh.
1: Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.
2: Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Okay. Uh, Your bad prediction. You had Fernando Alonso, which was P6. I know you can't count that high. And then I had Valtteri Bottas. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. So just to recap there. So I picked a Mercedes driver who did not have any sort of mechanical failure, damage. You know, nothing obscure happened. He just had a bad day. So I predicted the Mercedes driver would have a bad day and they finished P12. Just so we'll throw that out there. Uh, I know that you are probably very sad about that because you and Valtteri are best friends.
1: Totally um, besties.
2: Yes. Uh, my Dark Horse top 10 was Fernando Alonso. So thank you, Fred. P6. That was really good. Uh, nailed that one. You had Lance Stroll. Yikes.
1: Sorry, Lance. My
2: bad. i bad. <laughs> Lance's whole weekend can be blamed on you. Uh, and then we both got the Q on elimination wrong. Uh, it was both Haas's, Stroll, Geo, and Latifi, I think. Uh, I predicted Alonzo and you predicted Sonoda, who both happened to make Q3. So we really really missed that one. All right. Well, I could have been a lot unfair to you there. I did. Yeah. What, what I, I made fun of your counting abilities, your age, and your friendship of Botas
1: feel sad and alone and okay very you don't glad. Have to be
2: that you don't have to be that deep <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel bad <laughs> all right well do you want to talk about Horner and Wolf speaking of two people not getting along
1: yeah what do you uh, what do you make of this feel, feels like more than you know a, a gentle ribbing which they seem to have given each other over the last couple of years this is actually... I don't want to say bringing up more of a rivalry, but it's certainly very interesting.
2: It has a weird feel to it. You know, they have the drive to survive feel to it where they say something, but then they have like the scene of them, like, how's your weekend? You know, how's the family? Things like that. Right. To recap it for those at home, there it is. It is starting to escalate. And I think it's, it's really captivating because I think it kind of encompasses this rivalry we have this year with Red Bull and Mercedes and how intense it is for both teams Basically, Wolf was getting critical of Horner and him bragging about how good they are and how their wings are perfect and you know there's not going to be any sort of flexi wing nonsense with the team. Wolf then called Horner a windbag, which is a word I need to work into my vocabulary more often. Yeah, and then he I needs agree. to be more. He needs to be more modest. And then Horner came back immediately and said, if I was Toto with that front wing that he's got in his car, I'd keep my mouth shut. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's getting spicy. Uh, yeah, because, you know, that's often what happens in Formula 1 is when you point a finger, that finger often gets pointed back right at you. If you say they have something on their car illegal, I guarantee Red Bull's going to go searching and find something illegal with your car. And then after the race – Toto was very critical of the team saying, you know, well, some along the lines of, you know, it doesn't matter if it was Lewis, engineering, mechanics, etc. cetera. You know, our performance this weekend was unacceptable and we need to be in better form going forward. And publicly speaking, Horner was questioning Wolf's tactics and asking kind of out loud if Wolf should be ribbing his team like that in the public eye instead of maybe handling it behind the scenes so i have everything there you pick something and just run with it
1: i want to use the word windbag more we should bring that we should bring back like use windbag or some random word in an episode like we used to a while back oh, that was yeah
2: that was way that was like peak me when i started yeah. here
1: so i mean I don't have an issue with Toto Wolf publicly roasting his team. Everybody has a different management style. Toto is a bit more rash and loud, and, and that's fine. I, I don't care. Horner wants to keep it behind closed doors. I also don't care about that. So I don't really see an issue there, but Toto calling, or you know, Being the the windbag, and then, hey, if I was Toto, look at the front wing on his car, I'd keep my mouth shut. That, to me, is the interesting part in this. Because, so, you know, Mercedes says, ooh, Red Bull's rear wing, flexi-wing, major issues. And Christian Horner's going, have you seen that damn Mercedes front wing? It does the same thing. So now we've got some substance to this back and forth. And, hey, uh, Christian Horner's a... You know, a windbag. Total Wolf is a, I don't know, robot demon, and I am very curious. And and Horner saying, "Listen, I I look at that front wing too." Is is to me the most interesting part, and I can't wait to see how this all plays out over the next handful of weeks and months.
2: Yeah, I agree. And kind of expanding on what you said. How long has Red Bull been sitting on this whole, you know, if Mercedes starts throwing stones from their glass house, we can just chuck one right back with, oh, you're investigating our front wing. Well, you might want to take a look at their front wing. So I thought that was interesting. I'm also looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with some of the images they got from this weekend and if there's going to be any uh, penalties or whatnot coming from the film they gathered at Baku for the Flexi Wings and whatnot. All right, do you want to talk about your your buddy, Valtteri Bottas?
1: Yeah, what what a weekend for Valtteri. I mean, honestly, from start to finish, really showed us what he's all all about this weekend. I saw you mention the, like, oh, he needs to change his screensaver now, which was really funny. But, so he, he pretty much said before the race, he's not going to... Take the loser's option after you know a, a couple kind of rough weekend weekends in, in a row. He was going to come in with a a you know mentally tough attitude. Mercedes did not have good practice sessions, and and obviously it wasn't that big of a deal because Lewis Hamilton figured it out. Bottas finished tenth, or sorry, qualified tenth, and he was kind of stuck there all race, almost like he was too afraid to really do anything and then what really shocked me was when you so you didn't see it live at first I think when on the restart when Botas dropped from 9th or 10th down to 13th or 14th before he for he recovered and got by the Haas guys I guess I don't know exactly what happened but you saw his onboard and it was like he was tiptoeing around on that lap after or on the first lap after the restart. And I know Mercedes is having a little trouble getting the tires up to temps, but you got to go, man, you're in, you're in a point spot. You, you gotta, you gotta get your ass moving. And instead he's tiptoeing around. Like he doesn't want to damage the car. And I think that's, I think two things. I think that is just Botas. He's never really been one to take too many risks. And two, I think that just goes to show that he has absolutely no confidence right now. What He he can say, you know, screw you critics, and we have a great team spirit, and we'll stick together, and blah, blah, blah. But when he gets in the car and it's just in his mind, he he is not there.
2: Yep. It's, I feel like this is becoming like a weekly topic we talk about. But um, something's not working. And I guess we'll segue – I want to segue into our next topic here, which is that George Russell wants his future decided by the summer break. So that is, I think, between Hungary and Spa. Yeah. And so the summer break ends on August 27th. So basically, Russell wants his future decided by then. If it's going to be Williams or Mercedes, it seems like one of those twos is – basically what he's got as far as options. So is the case starting to mount that Botas needs to find a new seat next year? Yes. And then is the natural next step to be Russell?
1: Yes. I I don't see it going any other way unless somebody comes with, crazy amounts of money, but I don't think, I don't think it's going to go any other way.
2: So not Ocon. And I'm not trying to poke your buttons. That was an actual question.
1: (laughs) No, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, I don't think it will be Ocon. And with all due respect, he's put in a couple solid weekends in a row. Now I'm not saying I've completely changed my tune on him, but he's, he's showing what he's capable of in a difficult Alpine car.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think you know Russell is a more natural fit and I hope he gets the, the nod because that would be so epic for so many reasons. So it's cool that they're they that he's it's actively in his mind. He really wants to kind of wrap it up and, and you know I think Lewis is saying the same situation. He wants his contract figured out sooner rather than later. So we will see. We'll keep our eyes on the NFL for you.
1: I, I wanted to get your thoughts on I know we're we're a little bit before the summer break, but kind of, you know, based on on George's thoughts there, if you were Mercedes, would you tell George to listen? We're, we're waiting until the end of the year, because if we don't, Botas is going to have a meltdown and he's not going to get any points and we're going to lose the constructors. What What's your if you, if you were Mercedes, how would you how would you handle it?
2: I would say, Mount we're taking it a different direction next year. And if you want to, you know, be a part of something special here and and finish your career on a high, you better start getting some points. Otherwise, we'll just pull the trigger now and we'll send you straight to Williams. That's what I would do. I mean, if, if your plan is to switch next year anyways, I wouldn't let the guy who, I wouldn't let the disgruntled employee on his way out ruin what you guys have been working all year for. And if he doesn't turn around soon anyways, I mean, his, The the ice is melting below him, so, yeah, I wouldn't let him ruin anything if if I was Total Wolf.
1: Yeah, fair enough there. I think we only have one more topic, and I know that I wanted to get to, and one more thing you wanted to get to. Would you like to go first?
2: Yeah, I mean, I had a super-duper secret host question for you. We haven't done one in a while. Um, Mercedes apparently has this thing on the back of the steering wheel called the Magic Button. People are speculating as to the powers of said magic button. And it's uh, leading to quite some funny memes online. But I wanted to know, Mike, if you were a team owner and you could put a magic button in your car that could do anything within reason. Doesn't even have to be racing related. What would your magic button do?
1: My magic button would print stacks of money so I can do it out so I can do more racing.
2: Well... It's good that's that's within reason because I'm pretty sure Lance Stroll has one of those in his car already. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my magic button would do. I think if it, if I clicked my magic button, I want in my next pit stop, I would want like my Texas Roadhouse meal just waiting for me there, with like a yeah. You, cow. Can,
1: you could go the food or or, or drink route. That's that's also uh, completely acceptable. I was gonna go something crazy like 600 extra horsepower for a lap, but I, I think. <laughs> I think money is more fun right now. Yeah. And more unrealistic. So, yeah, the magic button thing is super interesting because I'd never heard before, but it it helps Mercedes warm up those front tires by shipping off the rear brakes. So, I mean, pretty cool technology, if you ask me. I love learning about new automotive technology, but, yeah, very, very interesting. Our last segment before we round it out, And there is no F1 this week. But, guys, there's an in-car doubleheader in Detroit on NBC both days. So, tune in Saturday and Sunday. A little bit of, you know, continuing on the Mercedes-Red Bull rivalry theme from tonight. Max Verstappen claims that if he were in the same car as Lewis Hamilton, he would be two-tenths quicker than Lewis. So, Matt? Thoughts? What do you think? Agree? Disagree? Do you like what Max is saying here?
2: I think it's funny. And I appreciate that he has the confidence to say that. You know, I think Lewis is really fast, obviously, and, and knows what he's doing. If if Max had to jump into Mercedes, it would take a little bit of an adjustment, but I do think he could every bit hang with Lewis Hamilton, because I do think Verstappen is the second best driver on the grid behind Leclerc. So, I just think it's funny, you know, it's, again, like you said, it's just this rivalry that just keeps going and going and going. And, you know, honestly, straight up equal equipment, I would take Max for sure.
1: I agree. I, this Mac, Max is a little bit of a savage off the track and on the track. He's willing to make the move when he needs to. And I was, I think it's kind of funny too. I, I appreciate any sort of little vocal rivalry that we can go in because it, it makes everything a little bit more interesting and well it gives us more to talk about. So I I I think especially as Max matures and matures on the track, I think he will get even better. And it's crazy to think about this is his fifth year in F one, sixth year in, fifth fifth or sixth year in F one, and he's twenty-three years old. So yeah, he's got a he's got a long career ahead of him for sure. So we'll wrap it up there, guys. Thank you again for listening this week. We both appreciate it. Next week we'll be back to preview France, and don't worry, the live show will be back before in the morning before France with the eight a.m. Baku start. It was I kind of sort of forgot what 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 time the race started until it was a little too late to do that. So we'll be back with that.